Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Charlie. And I'm your other host, Nick. And this is Heartstopper, the podcast where we answer all your burning questions about queer relationships, queer struggles, and everything else in between. But more seriously, I'm Chris. And I'm Amy. And this is the Big Gay Book Club, a podcast where we apparently write fan fiction about Nick and Charlie starting in a starting a queer advice column podcast when they're in college because i actually really see that happening for them honestly i can too i I think they'd give the best advice i know they have they have the best life experiences to help them give that advice too so i don't know maybe maybe alice maybe we're already maybe we're seeing into the future maybe we are maybe alice if you're hearing this (laughs) yes right It's time for our second episode of 2024 and the return to one of our favorite series, Heartstopper by Alice Oseman. Specifically, we're going to be looking at volumes three, four, and five today as we follow our boys, Charlie and Nick, deeper into their relationship. Let's add some cozy pillows to our big gay blanket because we're about to create the most comfortable and secure feeling blanket for you've ever been in. And honestly, I'm kind of surprised we never saw Charlie and Nick make a blanket fort because that feels like right up their alley. Right up their alley. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they've made a blanket fort in Charlie or Nick's bedroom and played Mario Kart until the late hours of the night. I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it's happened. And if it hasn't happened yet, it certainly is going to, um, especially Mm -hmm. sleepovers. But anyways, anyways. (laughs) (laughs) that's a volume five thing. Yes, it's a volume five thing. So what have you been up to since we last recorded, Amy? Um, well, I've had the chance to see two different Broadway musicals. Um, I kind of feel like this is going to be the year of Broadway for me because all of my friends seem to want to go see shows this year. So um, I got to see Spam a lot with one of my dear friends. It's so funny. Have you ever seen it, Spam a lot? No, I've not. But I do follow Jonathan Bennett on instagram and i saw that he was going to be in it yes he plays sir robin the not so courageous um and i just oh my gosh he's he's fantastic you and i you and i both love him because um well i love him because he was mean girls aaron (laughs) samuel aaron samuel aaron samuels anyways um and he he's also been uh starring in a lot of hallmark channel holiday movies um but Two years ago, he actually was um, leading in their first queer romance movie, and that was a really, really big deal. And I know he he himself is gay, and he's so super duper proud of being able to do this kind of uh, work. And he also plays uh, the gay Sir Robin in Spam a Lot. Um, that show has so many gay vibes; it's the greatest. It's like everybody on that stage is having so much fun, and you can tell. And it just kind of like. It makes the show even better because of it. That sounds awesome. I yeah. have to look into it because I've heard of it, but I've never really known about it, like what it is. I mean, if you've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, that's it, ex- except with music. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then I also had the chance to see Hades Town, which I just saw last night um, for the fifth time. I've seen three different versions of it. I've seen it three times on Broadway now. I got to see the off-Broadway edition, um, which was still my favorite cast and, and take on the show. Mm-hmm. And I also got to see it on tour. And my, oh, my, I think this was my second favorite time I've ever seen it. It was nice. so good. Andy DeFranco's in it now. Uh, Lola Tongue, if you've seen the Netflix show, The Summer I Turned Pretty. Um, 
my gosh. Is that Netflix? Anyways. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's Amazon. Is it Amazon? Okay. I really liked it. And she's she's very, very talented. Annie DeFranco has, and too has like obvious stage presence. And they are such great compliments to the rest of the cast. Um, Jordan Fisher, who plays Orpheus, is this like Marxist lead of the show. <laughs> and I love his like anger and his like rallying ability to like really get the crowd to empathize and to like follow his footsteps. It's fantastic. So highly recommend both those shows. Yeah, I so Hades Town is one of those ones I've always wanted to see. And I actually had tickets to see it in Rhode Island <gasps> with a friend of mine. But yeah. I don't remember what, I think maybe we got sick and we couldn't go. So we ended up giving mm. the tickets to her to give to a friend to okay. go. But that was something really sad because that's one of those ones where I've listened to the soundtrack countless times and I love the music and I love the story and I'd love to see it in person eventually. Um, and actually, yeah. Sam's been replaying Hades, the video game recently. <gasps> and it just yes. makes me think of Hades Town even more because of all the... Um, characters that are in it because it kind of tells a very similar story to the story that's told in Hades Town. Mm-hmm. I mean Orpheus shows up in Hades and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just it's so does Eurydice <sighs> and Persephone and yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's the story to that game is really cool. I never personally beat Hades. Like the Me neither. I'm not gonna say too much. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't played it, but like I never really beat the main boss in the game. So I never saw the story. But Sam's been beating it over and over again. So I've been able to see the story with him and it's really cool nice yeah i'm i I was actually thinking of getting back into that game um and then i decided to try to finish up inscription instead um but i streamed both of those over on twitch and i remember really really enjoying hades and loving all of the incidental story that you get just Mm -hmm. through like you know the sound bites the dialogue from the characters every time you die um and I think what a that's creative one of the, game. Oh, yeah, and I think that's one of the main reasons why that game is so cherished is because of not only the gameplay, but the storytelling that they do. Like, it's one of the most unique roguelikes where mm-hmm. the stories woven into the gameplay loop really seamlessly. Yeah. And I've been saying, like, now that I'm watching Sam play it, I want to get back into playing it again. But Final Fantasy VII Rebirth comes out in <gasps> three weeks, and I'm replaying the first game right now to priorities see the story again so yes yeah it's like maybe that's a summer project when i there we have go my summer vacation hades does strike me as a summer game i don't i think yeah. it might have something to do with the whole persephone vibes like you know hades is with persephone in the winter but alone during the summer and there's mm-hmm. just something about the video game that makes me think of summer yeah and i don't know though i could be wrong I, th- I don't have too many of my own life updates January to February is kind of just a working month. It's probably like the not busiest, but most mm-hmm. mentally taxing part of the year for teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I did get a lot of reading done in Ooh. January. I actually read what may be one of my favorite books ever now. Um, I'm so excited. And it's actually going to be our book for next month's episode. So I'm not going to say what it is yet till the end of the episode. But look forward to that because... I don't know. I just, I can't wait for Amy to read it. I can't wait to get it from the library. I'm going to probably request it right after we finish recording this. Yay. <laughs> um, yeah, but this month is all about Heartstopper. This is our Heartstopper mega fan episode, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, we always first saw this happening. I'm glad it happened sooner rather than later because I just have so many thoughts and feelings about our um, boys, Nick and Charlie. And Alice has managed to tell incredible 
incredible stories in all three of these volumes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, excitingly, and... our fluffy animal companion count is up by one. So maybe this makes up for last month. I was I was going to ask you the same question. Yeah. Does it make up for it if we have if we have two fluffy animal companions? I think it does because we got Henry now. Henry, I know. the all star of book volume four. I think just amazing. Yes. And then it made me realize how much I actually. I think Henry is like a pug type dog, and they're so cute. It seems like it. Yeah. And when we were out on our walk yesterday. We saw a pug, and I was like, Sam, I actually really think pugs are cute. It's like I don't want a pug, but I like they're really cute. <laughs> Oh yay! I love that realization. Henry Henry is adorable. He's so little, and the way he nestles up with Nelly. Yeah, I mean, first, <sighs> just the first picture you see of Henry in the book is like such a good little panel. Mm-hmm. I think I have it. I I think I used. Let me count. I think I used about fifteen to twenty tabs while I was reading to mark <laughs> pages of stuff I wanted to talk about. Love it. And that was definitely one of the pages I marked was Henry's introduction. Henry. What um, a great name for a dog, too. But just a little synopsis for those of you who <clears throat> might not know what these three volumes are about. But throughout the three volumes, Charlie and Nick face many challenges they must work together to overcome. They discover things about their relationship and themselves that helps them grow and discover what makes them each unique. From a trip to Paris, to a trip to the beach, to a college road trip... And performing in huge concerts, our boys have adventures both together and alone. And they are ultimately left to wonder, who am I without my boyfriend by my side? And that Mm. last part, I think, is maybe one of the kind of threads throughout these books that I enjoy the most. Because I think I relate to it the most. And I think it's the most, well, there's so many of them, but it's one of the most, like, human relatable aspects of these books and just like i think everybody can relate to like getting into a relationship and that other person becoming your whole world and you kind of warping your perception of yourself and your world around them and then that's why so much media talks about like needing to find out who you are without your um significant other like going on a journey of self-discovery and i think alice does a great job of doing that in these books Agreed. And great synopsis, Chris. Thank you. I oh, I think we want to start doing that more where we give our own little synopsis that doesn't give too much of the story away. Yeah. Um, because we've discovered how much of the story that um, back, backs or slip covers of books can give these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Amy, yeah. I, I'm the one that asked you to read Heartstopper with me. It kind you of did. prompted this whole podcast. I also I'm did I give so you all of the books? You you did actually. Yeah. Um I remember yes. I was you really You gifted excited me to... the first four and then you were like the fifth one came out and then I yeah. I received it in the mail not too long after. So thank you so much because I really, really cherish these volumes. You're welcome. I honestly if I had the I'd I'd buy these five books for all of my friends. Like <laughs> I just want everybody to read them honestly. They're so good. And the Netflix yeah. show is a beautiful companion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's standalone, too. Like, you don't have to read the books. Um, but th- I think there are enough. I haven't read the second season. Read the second season. My gosh. I haven't <laughs> watched the second season yet. But just from my memory, I had seen the first season before I read the Heartstopper books. And um, they just complement each other so well. 
Yeah, I've seen season two twice now because I watched it mm. alone by myself in a single day when it came out. Oh my gosh, yes. And then later, like a month later, me and Sam watched through it a episode a day. Um, nice. And yeah, I really like season two as well. It does a really good job of taking great things from the books, but also adding, like, there's different characters in the show than in the books and whatnot, and, like, adding mm-hmm. the own little plot points to the show versus the book that's a little bit better to tell in that medium. And Alice is writing it, so, like, it has the same heart and the same characterization that we love. So it's a really Yay. great companion to the books. And it's, Good. like, just different enough that you feel like you're getting a new experience. Yeah, I, that's how I had felt with the first, after I had watched the first season and I read the books, I was like, this still feels so fresh. It doesn't feel rehashed, even though it's covering a lot of the same like plot points beat by beat. Yeah. But do you want to, we're, we're going to do this episode a little bit differently, I think, than mm-hmm. our past episodes, because we're, we read three volumes of a book series. And well, like these three volumes might amount to less reading time than an actual novel would it still Mm -hmm. covers like maybe even more time and topics than like a normal novel so we're just gonna this is just we're gonna talk about whatever we want to really um we'll avoid spoilers big spoilers until we get to our spoiler territory but we're definitely just gonna we're, we're not really gonna do our normal like characters and plot and whatnot we'll probably talk about the plot briefly but this episode mm-hmm. is really for those people who do love Heartstopper as much as we do and just want to share in that love. And um, please, 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 if you have anything you want to tell us about your love for Heartstopper that we don't get to in these mm-hmm. episodes, you can email us or message us on Instagram or respond to one of our posts on there. We'll give you that info later in the show. But yeah, just this is the Heartstopper love episode. And uh, before we dive into it, um, just some overall themes and triggers of the books. Yes, um, for those you. of you who may find uh, one of these subjects a bit too sensitive to hear discussions about, um, but there are uh, talks about eating disorders, depictions of bullying and trauma, and um, the threat of forced outing in these books. Did I miss anything in that? I don't think so. I think you had the big ones and it really is just Alice does not shy away from Alice Oseman, the author does not shy away from um, tackling pretty heavy themes and topics in her books, which Mm -hmm. is one of the reasons I love them and their writing so much is that I appreciate these types of stories existing, but for some people, it might be triggering to them. So we definitely wanted to bring that up. Um, But also, I feel like what's so important about these books is that they could be so useful for people too. It's like a guidebook. A guidebook to life. Yes. If I had read, if I had been able to read these books and see some of the things that Charlie and Nick and their friends said about coming out or bullying or whatnot mm-hmm. when I was a teenager, I think my life might have gone a little bit differently. Same. Yeah. But yeah, just seeing representation yeah. and and depictions of of really difficult, uh, but also really charming and endearing topics that mm-hmm. we, you know, may take a little bit more for granted nowadays, but just were absent entirely when we were growing up. Yeah, and I I mean that's the reason this podcast exists. That's the reason we love these books so much, is just 
that they do get to exist and kind of be beacons of hope in our community now. Yeah. But I think well, we're going to get into it. Oh, go let's for get it. into it. You should okay. you should start, Chris, because I know I know how much these books mean to you, and I know you have a lot to say. So I'll probably um, just be happy to engage in conversations with, yeah, with I mean, your discussion points. I will say I'm also excited to hear what you thought. So I want to hear from you too. Fair enough. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you should I, start. <laughs> okay, I will. I'm just going to start by reiterating that I think the reason I love these books is so much because they just feel so important. And not just to me as like a person who read them, but they feel mm-hmm. important in the world because they just, the fact that they exist, they, Alice covers so many topics that people see as taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, and she covers them with such grace and respect for them that I can picture all the people this book could help on their own journeys through self-discovery and through their mental illnesses and through their coming out journeys and whatnot. Like just... Imagine reading this book in a really difficult time of your life and just seeing the potential and seeing the possibility and just being able to um, grow from it. It's just, it's just great. And despite some heavy themes, especially in volume four, which I have to say, you already know this, but it's yeah. probably one of my favorite books, period. Um, you just, you can't feel you can't help but feel hopeful and happy while reading Heartstopper. It's just, there's just this perfect combination of um, like important topics and difficult topics, but also just like queer joy and like queer power and just so good. And Alice has such a way with her prose, her writing or, and um, her paneling and the artistry and reading these books is such a joy. It is. It's so infectious. I feel like mm-hmm. the smiles that these characters have on the page just like emanate off of the paper and like right into my heart. And I, I like, I smile when I read these books. Like I'm, I'm giggling along with the characters. And I don't, I don't have that much of like a physical reaction to a lot of the books that I read. Not anymore. I remember I used to a lot more when I was a kid. But I feel like at some point I just got a lot quieter and maybe a bit more jaded in my reading with all of the experience that I've gotten where, you know, I'm just flipping pages. I know my face is pretty impassive, but Mm -hmm. there's something about these books that just brings out that joy and wonder again. Like from when I was a kid, it's just, it takes you back to a more innocent time in your life. Didn't you tell me you cried on a train while reading this? I did. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I read, okay, so I read the, the fourth and the fifth one both yesterday on the train ride to and then from the way to to the city to get to see Hades town and nice i i did i cried during book four it's a beautiful book <laughs> it is it i probably i see i see it as like a yearly read maybe mm. just as yeah. like a just as like a little reminder about the like the about hope and about um making it through tough times you know yeah. And I feel like even if you're not going through like too heavy or tough a time in your life, the smaller moments can mm. still offer you some nuggets of wisdom or a modicum of peace that like, you know, or maybe an answer to a question that you've been seeking, but haven't really known how to put into words. And somehow this book just has that for you already. I think there's something in here for everyone who reads it. And there's probably something in it for you every time you reread it as well. Yep. And just, it's like one of those things where you just discover more and more about it as you each time you read it it's just there's so many little like 
juicy details and like the paneling and the prose that like if you're reading it quickly the first time you might gloss over but if you're reading it the second time kind of knowing the overall plot you might actually pick up the second time or the third or fourth time yeah agreed um and jen next it's just as much as i personally try to avoid being retrospective about my own teenage years because if i do it can be kind of depressing for me Mm. i do see that there is an undeniable truth to the reality alice is presenting in heartstopper like so many small details make me think back to my own high school days and while i guess instagram wasn't really a thing when i was in high school facebook was and so Mm -hmm. is texting and instant messaging and the stuff the characters go through in these books is just incredibly relatable it's one of those times where you kind of just know that alice is writing from their own lived experience. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And it's just <clears throat> incredibly clear that if they aren't writing from their own experience, they've done research and they've taken the necessary steps to be able to talk about some of these things with um, the importance that they should be talked about. Yeah. And can I just take this time right now just to say thank you to Alice Oseman because if she hadn't dug so deep into her own heart and into her her own past, which sounds like it was, you know, painful at times. Mm -hmm. Um, And if she hadn't put the work in to do, you know, her research and um, everything else that led up to this book, a lot of probably really honest conversations with herself, we wouldn't have this. And so just thank you. Thank you, Alice Oisman, because um, these books really do bring a light to the world. Yeah. And I just think, that Alice is an incredible person who I follow them on Instagram and Mm -hmm. um, just she's gone through some struggles recently with like burnout and um, needing to like take a step back from Heartstopper and just exist without it for a bit. And she's pretty open about those things in her own personal life on Instagram too, which I super appreciate as an author who struggling with some of the same things her characters struggle from um, Mm. and being open about them and letting people know that, yeah, even, even me, this person that has this really successful book series and this really successful Netflix series um, still has hard days and still has hard months. And it's really refreshing to see somebody be so open about those struggles. So I appreciate them. I appreciate them for that too. Yeah, it's it's hard sometimes to not see people glamorizing life on Instagram mm-hmm. in every little way. So thank you. That's great. Um, also, rereading these volumes makes me appreciate the Netflix adaptation even more now. Mm. It's like I was saying earlier, it's just different enough to be its own thing. But it adds some fantastic elements that kind of feel correct for the television medium versus the book medium. Like, yeah, there's like one of the there's a character in the book that's not in the show and then there's characters in the show that are in the books and they kind of do the different they kind of do different things like their friend alad in the book that character's not in the tv show but i wondered yeah they have isaac and isaac is a character who goes through a different journey of self-discovery i believe alice oseman is asexual and Mm -hmm. I appreciate that she gets to tell the story of that through, I think, Tori Spring in Volume 5, but also Isaac in the TV show. So there's nice. just, like, these 
little things that are different that kind of I don't know they it makes me love them both for what they are and it's one of those things that helps me realize like I don't need my TV shows or my movies to be perfect exact duplicates of the book they right. should be different and I think the best ones probably are different because they mm-hmm. get to do different stuff with that medium yeah and play to the medium strengths as yes. well sometimes Adaptations can be very limiting because they're trying to adhere either too faithfully or because they're not utilizing their medium to its fullest potential. And you can always tell which ones those are because those feel either like stifled in some way or they just feel bad. And you're just like, mm-hmm. I don't want to watch this now. Yeah, <laughs> or I don't want to read the, this. Some of the worst adaptations I think I can remember are like The Golden Compass, the movie, not the new TV show, because the new TV show is pretty good. Um, and like the Aragon movie that came out forever ago. Yeah, I remember that one. There are some bad adaptations (laughs) that are either too quick. They don't have enough time to tell the story that they need to, but there's, these are not that. These are, these are the perfect adaptation. Um, and I'm glad this is our hot star, heart stopper appreciation episode, because I also want to appreciate the Netflix adaptation for one more minute in talking about its music. Oh, the music in Heartstopper season one and season two is just incredible and turned me on to so many amazing artists. Like one of my favorite artists now is Maggie Rogers. I was just going to mention Maggie Rogers. I wouldn't have known anything about her music (laughs) if I hadn't heard her music in season two. And I, yeah, I just remember you texting me and being like, have you heard this song? Have you heard this song? Mm -hmm. Have you heard this song? It's Maggie Rogers. And I'm just like, I know I've heard of her. I think I've seen a couple of her her things on on YouTube because I do a lot of music discovery on YouTube. And you were like, her her songs are like featured really heavily in season two of Heartstopper. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. How perfect. Um, Yeah. I, yeah. It's just, I feel like a lot of um, the music in the show is music that Alice likes and listens to as well. Nice. So I feel a connection to Alice as a person too. I feel like it's just, I'm happy all of these things exist because they're bringing people together. They're, Mm -hmm. they're lifting up queer artists, not just the author, but also actors and musicians and yeah, probably like on set like directors and writers and um, we can hope yeah a lot of the backstage influences what happens on that screen so Mm -hmm. i'm hoping that there are a lot of representations um not just through gender and sexuality but also for a lot of diversity because there's a lot of diversity in the pages of these books as well which is really really great um but speaking of season two i as you know, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I know. Can you, can you, t- <laughs> shocking. Um, can you tell me which books get covered in it? Yeah. So um, season two is predominantly book three, the Paris trip. Okay. Um, okay. But um, they do pull in some stuff from volume four. Like there's some scenes from volume four that happen in um, volume two. So in season two. Uh, mm-hmm. so they're kind of, they, they are changing the timeline a little bit, but it works very naturally. Yeah. And Good. we got okay. to see more of my favorite Olivia, Col- I think it's Olivia Coleman. love Olivia Coleman. The one who Nick played, Nelson's the actress mother. Who plays, yes. Just like oh. Nick's mom in the books and Nick's mom in the show are just like perfection. I love they, Olivia yes. so much. 
That's great. Oh, okay. That's okay. So that's really funny. So we'll, we'll probably get into this more, um, during spoiler territory and stuff, but, um, book three actually has the shortest time frame of all of the books. And mm-hmm. so I'm really curious that they chose because season one is both books one and two. Yep. But season two is just book three, which For the, the Paris trip part, is like yes. a week long. So interesting. Okay. I'm going to have to get Netflix again just to, just to watch it. Because like, <laughs> it looks like season three is starting with the beach scene and that's how volume four starts. That makes sense. I'm really hoping volume four mm-hmm. is just sees Like I think based on what I know of Heartstopper, I feel like it could be a perfect like four season show. Okay. Like the perfect so... like four like four season like a year almost like the seasons of a year i feel like it could be like a really good four season show oh i like that where they could wrap it I up like that. in season four or yeah but i feel like i how much i love season four and even though it's probably going to be really hard to watch there's also Book so four, you much mean? yeah volume four yeah <laughs> but volume four. season four volume four i'm gonna just mix it up all the time it's all good <laughs> um but as hard as it might be to watch, there's also just so much positivity that can come from it too. Mm-hmm. And just like, again, having a story like that existing and more than just a, cause not maybe people don't read the heart or the book, but they're going to watch the show because they have Netflix and they like to watch shows versus read. So now mm-hmm. if they tell that story, which they did start telling, like they started, they brought up the thing we'll talk about later I think you know what Great. I'm talking about in season two. It's like just how it happens in Paris. It also happens the same way. Um, mm-hmm. So they are going to talk about it for sure. So Great. I'm excited to see season three, even though yeah. like, I'm not excited by the con. Like, I think our listeners now know, like, it's just sometimes you get excited to have feelings, you know? <laughs> like, yes. I'm excited to f- go on that journey with Nick and Charlie again. Well, and especially because it's a it's an excellent example of catharsis because yes. you have like these really, really it's like a deep chasm of feelings where you end up just crying publicly on the train. And then yep. you get a lot of like it's like the the you know, the darkest hour before the light, which is something they talk about in Hadestown too. Um where you get all of these deep feelings, but then you start to see like this this hope and this light and um by the time you reach the resolution, it's such a satisfying conclusion yes. to the story. Like all of these things wrap up in a very gratifying way. And it is, it's just a very emotionally cathartic. And so if you ever feel like you need a book that's going to make you want to cry, read Heartstopper. If you ever like feel like you need a book that makes you want to laugh, read Heartstopper. If you ever just need to like smile uncontrollably for like a couple minutes, read Heartstopper. It's just, there's something in it for everybody. And it's really great. This is turning into why I'm recommending this book and we're not there yet, but <laughs> it, it, it'll very naturally transition. Although yeah. I guess, I mean, <laughs> we always talk about things we didn't like, but like, I don't have anything to talk about there, honestly. <laughs> I I have a couple things, I guess. Yeah. Um, if you want to, did you have anything yeah. before we got there? Did you want to talk about anything else before we got there? Um, I think we covered everything. Um, yeah. So the things that I didn't like as much is that Nellie's not in it as much as I want. Yeah, that's no, 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 true. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> she's she's great. She and Henry are great. I love them both. They're both very fluffy. Um, but seriously, um, I did prefer book four to book three. And I'm kind of surprised that they spent an entire season on book three um, of the TV show. But I I also think that book three is like that pivotal 
in between like it's setting mm-hmm. up a lot of things but there's not a lot of payoff for itself like it has some small payoffs and um but it just feels so minor and light in comparison to book four that it's it's really hard for me in retrospect not to compare the two of them and just to feel like the book three is like the weakest one of the bunch i will so yeah so to talk about that i'm as you're talking about it, I'm remembering more and more details of season two. I'd say the Paris trip is about the first half of the season. And then okay. there's a lot of things in the second half of the season that are in the books. But then there's a few episodes that are doing things that weren't in the books. Because we get a lot bigger focus on Elle. I um, was going to say, they they have more of Elle and Teo in, in yeah. the seasons than they, they do in they the They focus books. a lot on Elle's journey to art school, which is okay. great. And they also focus on, um, I don't, I can't remember if his character's name in the book is, or in the show is Sebastian or if it's actor's name, but there's Sebastian's no Ben. Sebastian's the actor's name. His name is Ben Hope. Ben, Ben yeah. in the book or in the show, his, there's, there's a focus on him too. That Oh, is, he's not even in the anything I past, I think, volume two. So he is in season two as well. So there's like okay. book volume uh, book volume season i don't know what i'm saying anymore <laughs> season two <laughs> is paris trip plus a lot of extra little nuggets that are show specific that are good there's also the there's also some stuff with their oh gosh i wish i could remember her name because she's one of my favorite characters in the show but like nick's friend that in the first season goes out with oh imogen imogen duh imogen, imogen is great and there's some stuff with yes. her too but yeah okay cool so they pull in some stuff from volume four. There's all of volume three. And then there's some extra show stuff. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've definitely got to, uh, I've got to get Netflix again for like a month just to watch these. Mm-hmm. It's Maybe worth we it. watch season one while I'm at it. <laughs> yes. I think that's everything though. Um, do you want to, would you recommend this book, Chris? I would recommend this book to any any person. I think because it has such a power to educate and promote empathy and compassion for queer youth, it's mm-hmm. just so important to me. Um, but it also has the power to demonstrate how someone might deal with pretty difficult situations in their life. Like, I just imagine as like a a person going through the same struggles that Charlie does reading this book and realizing that there is help out there if they need it. It's just, it's just, it's just important. Yeah. No, I feel, I feel the same way. Um, I think it's going to be tough to think of people not to recommend this series to, Mm -hmm. um, because even if you're not sure if you would like it, you know, if you don't read graphic novels or, um, there's something about the subject matter that you're like, oh, I don't really want to read a book about, you know, eating disorders or something like just read it. And it may, it may just win you over. Yeah. I, I feel like it'd be hard. I, not everybody's taste, but there's probably something for everybody to find that they connect with in this story. And they're short reads too. I yes. read um, each of these books in just over an hour. Like the length of reading these books in one sitting is about the length of an average movie. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that these were originally written as a web series mm-hmm. where they produced like maybe 10 panels at a time. I actually initially, so I guess maybe this is my third read of volume five because I read it, I read it bi-weekly when Alice was promoting it to their tumblr when they were actually writing the pages 
Um, so I read it That's then, super cool. and then I read it when I got it, and then I read it again this week for this podcast episode. <laughs> and then you got me to read it, and thank yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. I'm just, I am the heart stopper um, publicist, I guess. I'm going to make everybody I know read it. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they appreciate it greatly, the publicists and <laughs> well, I mean, word of mouth really is the important thing here. It is. Because I wouldn't have heard of, I didn't even know about the show existed until I saw people posting about it on Instagram being like, if you're gay and you want to feel feelings, <laughs> you should watch this show, you know? And then I was Amazing. like, okay, I'll watch it. And then I watched it. And then I needed to like read it. And then I needed to own every book Alice ever wrote. So yeah. I need to read all of Alice's other books. I want to read Loveless. I want to read Solitaire. I want to read the Heartstopper yearbook. Anyways, coloring well, books. Amy, yes, me, please. We have a yeah. podcast that's made for that. <laughs> <laughs> what eventually <laughs> we'll get uh, there we'll get there okay so i think we're ready to enter spoiler territory <gasps> spoiler territory <laughs> so hang out for a bit and if you haven't read these books what are you doing with your life go read them and come back after the break So welcome back, everybody. We are entering spoiler territory. So if you've not read these books, you're going to hear a lot of stuff specific about them that will spoil um, content, which we're really yeah. excited to talk about. We are. And I think in order to streamline things, instead of talking about each book or each character, I... Uh, like one at a time, as we've done with previous episodes of this podcast, I think we're going to just kind of do a free for all and, and talk about the topics that speak to us and grab at us. Um, right? Is that, yeah, that I think that's like a good exactly process. How, I think that's exactly how I would like to handle this. Um, because it's just, there's so much content here. And if we went through it beat by beat, we'd probably be here for three more hours. Um, <laughs> probably yeah and as much as i'd love to do that i don't think our listeners would enjoy a three-hour podcast maybe they would who knows maybe if they would, would let I mean... us know <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i think my biggest thing is like if you're listening to this episode stop maybe go back and listen to our first hot heart stopper volume one and two episode first where we do get more into the characters and there aren't too many new characters that get introduced in these volumes there are some but like mm -hmm. we'll probably talk about them as we need to so yeah yeah that first episode's a great jumping off point yeah i think we should just get into it amy because i am giddy with anticipation me too and uh, i know we've been texting a lot about like how 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 much we're gonna have to talk about so mm -hmm. i would you like to begin would I you would like to set the, the tenor i would love to and i'm gonna start with something we've kind of already talked about and but it's just how perfectly hand bleh, it's just about how perfectly alice handles each issue they raise so deftly like yes she just has the perfect pen to her prose and it's just i appreciate the writing in this so much like i have mm -hmm. i think blah, 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 four three specific points here about like just examples of this so i might just go through them yeah um, i have one as well so okay. I'll, I'll piggyback after you're done with your three perfect 
So the first one is this whole idea of coming out, specifically for Nick, because we know Charlie's already been outed, went through the whole bullying thing that's talked about in volumes one and two that still affects him in these later volumes. But for Nick, it's made clear that Nick should only come out in his own time if he wants to and feels comfortable doing so. So he doesn't owe being out to anyone, and it's his journey Mm -hmm. that he gets to be the captain of. And... I love, there's this, I have some quotes that I'm going to bring up for each of these. Um, And there's this quote where Charlie and his friend Alad, who is specific to the books, are talking about their own relationships. And Alad said something very profound to me. And it's that there's this idea that if you're not, oh, sorry, this is the exact quote. There's this idea that if you're not straight, you have to tell all your family and friends immediately, like you owe it to them but you don't. You don't have to do anything until you're ready. And I just think mm. it's it's so nice to see those feelings in words. Do you agree? Oh my gosh, yes. And I think it is something like, that's definitely something that I felt, you know, as it became more acceptable for people. I say acceptable in quotes for people to come out because it did feel more like, you know, they were forced to come out. Like mm-hmm. people would be constantly haranguing them. You You seem gay. Are you gay? You, you, you like this guy. Are you gay? And then just all of the, like, the homophobic jokes were funny until somebody was actually gay. Mm-hmm. And then they had to tell you. Otherwise, you were, it was your fault that you were offended by the jokes. And, like, I, I think that was a really toxic mindset that was pervasive in my high school. Um, I'm sure it was pervasive around a lot of people growing up um, from our generation. And I think there is something really precious about, you know, knowing that you can take the time that you have to come out when you are ready and to come out to the people that you want to come out to, because Mm -hmm. you don't have to come out to anybody that you think would make, like, there are people who are not safe in this world. Like you can recognize them, even if they're like really, really otherwise great people. Like you can tell that there are some people who are just not safe. And sometimes the things you have to say to them is not going to you know, be received as well as with somebody who makes you feel more secure, um, and less judgmental. So I think I'm just trying to say with all of this that like, Aled is very wise. And I'm Mm -hmm. really glad that he gave Charlie that advice, because I think it's advice that a lot of people need to be aware of. And, And not just for coming out, but, you know, it could be for anything It could be for talking about therapy or for, um, you know, an upcoming job change, you know, it just, yeah. anytime that you have a secret, like you don't have to tell people no, until you're ready. Exactly. And I think it's, it's made very clear because like Nick is out to his mom, but he's not out to his dad. Mm-hmm. He gets outed to his brother because his brother goes snooping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's just this whole, um, nuanced situation that I think is handled very well. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing is I love that we also get to see the teachers budding romance. And this is actually in the favorite. show too. Oh my gosh. Good. Cause I love them. Yes. I, I don't remember their name specifically, but like they're the way they're portrayed in the book in the show is just like so spot on. And like one of them has that trait where like very timid and I can't get the students to calm down, but then the other one can just shout quiet and everybody <laughs> silent immediately and it's just like those same traits are brought into the show and it's i love them so much and then there's this quote 
This quote has made its rounds on social media because of how profound mm. it is and just how much it just resonates with probably so many queer people. And I have to, I, it would be wrong of me to not bring it up in this episode. And that quote Read is it. said by um, one of the two teachers. And it is, well, when you don't come to terms with your sexuality until your mid-20s, you tend to miss out on all those beautiful gay teenage experiences. And mm. just my whole dang heart. I, I talked about this in our first episode. It's just this whole idea that people read this book or watch, especially people watched this show and then just mm-hmm. went into like a post heartstopper depression because like queer people specifically, because like that happened to me for like a week. I kind of felt empty and felt like just questioning and like yeah. thinking back and being like, I didn't get to have this. And it's really like, I wish I'd had volume four and I'd read it before I watched the show because this quote and then the quote after it's like, I don't think there's an age limit on those. And it's just, Mm. it's just hearing that and reading it and seeing it's just like makes you realize like you might not have had them when you were a teen, but you still get to have them now. Like there's nothing stopping you from having them now. And that's like really helpful and really hopeful for somebody who... didn't get to exist as themselves at the age that charlie and nick got to yes i i feel like in society again there's like such a push for people to grow up Mm -hmm. and and now we're at the phase where everyone's like adulting is so hard and i don't know when adult turned into like you know a verb (laughs) adulting but right it it's just like we like there's this like lamentation among the masses of like i wish I hadn't grown up so quickly because like this is really difficult and like I miss a lot of the things that happened when I was younger or like things that I didn't have while I was younger but there's nothing to say that you can't still have those things now mm-hmm. exactly you know you can't have those precious beautiful gay teenage experiences just because you're in your 20s or because you're in your 50s or because you know you're in your 80s like time Time doesn't have a hold over us like that. We have a hold over us like that. And if we like just don't limit ourselves, then we're not going to be limited. Mm. <laughs> that I... sounds so trite, but... <laughs> no, no, no. I feel like it's exactly how I... I mean, I, I do see some intentionality in Alice's writing. And like they're writing this for themselves, maybe as a little mm-hmm. bit of catharsis, but also just like wanting people to be able to read it and be like, hey, there's people out there who understand what you're going through. And like, I've come to terms with this in this way. I hope it can help you come to terms with it too. Yeah. Yeah. So the two teachers, they're, uh, they're great. at least in the books, Mr. Nathan Ajayi and then uh, Mr. Yusuf Farouk. And Mr. Farouk is the one who says that quote that you said about missing out on those beautiful gay teenage experiences. And then Mr. Ajayi is the one who's actually, um, I'm assuming he's out. I don't know if other teachers know, but I just think it's so beautiful that he's like, no, it's okay. And he's kind of like this guide for Yusef Farouk to just be like, you can still be you and still have those things. Like you can, you can have precious moments that you can hold on to, that you can make right now. Like we can make them together. And uh, their love is so beautiful. Yeah. Did your volume four have the little mini comic of them at the end? Yes. Like the first, it was all the first. It was like the first kiss. And oh man, I loved it. The the, the extra additional content that Alice puts in the end of all these volumes 
like additional to the Tumblr stuff is great. Oh, it's so good. Okay, so number it's... three on this number topic three. of issues that Alice handles just so incredibly well. And that is just, it's in the show and it's in, it's, I mean, it was in the book first, but it's this whole idea that we should not have to forgive the horrible transgressions of bullies and homophobes. And it's especially mm. like, this is brought up when Harry tries to come to Tara's birthday party in mm-hmm. Paris um, and like knock on the door and just like, Hey, I want to just talk to Nick and Charlie. I want to apologize. And then Charlie's just like, essentially like you don't get to ambush me and like force me to accept your apology in front of everybody and then i pulled out one small quote that i love and charlie says so congrats on your incredibly difficult realization that gay people actually do have feelings and have a nice life and i'm just like slam the door on that and yes and then everybody cheers and that is queer that is queer catharsis what is the word i'm trying to is queer perfection just it like, is and it's it's such a good idea and it's so satisfying yes. like that that is one of those like scenes where you just want to like clap mm-hmm. at a book like it's just it's so good like i was like applauding in my heart and you have these moments of like in it's catharsis it's definitely is catharsis where you know you have something that's been pent up for a very long mm-hmm. time and finally it has an outlet and the outlet feels pitch perfect in terms of the words that are being used um in this case in terms of like his expression and his gestures and the way that everybody else is responding and harry's face as he's like listening to this Mm -hmm. and like realizing like he still has more to come to terms with in his own journey in his own life and um go for it and 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 we also like then stop looking at harry entirely because it's no longer about him like this is about charlie Mm -hmm. and then I remember right after that moment, Nick takes Charlie aside and is like, are you okay? And Charlie's like, it actually felt really good to say all of that. And what a beautiful moment that we get to like, just say like, we get to choose who's in our life. And if we don't want this person to be in our life anymore, shut the door in their face. And it's so, it's so satisfying. And perfect moment. for me, it's even more than just the idea that gay people actually do have feelings. And it's this yeah. whole thing for me, like... Gay people actually do exist and are people who are deserving of the same respect that you give to everybody else. Because that's like high school bullying and whatnot. But like the real world taking away rights and um, just all the transgressions that um, conservative people have against queer culture, right? And how demonized mm-hmm. it is. And it's this whole idea like we want them to see the error of their ways. But I'm also not into this idea that we have to like be open-minded and forgiving for these past tr- transgressions if we want there to be progress made. Progress can be made and people can realize they've done wrong things without a whole group of people needing to um, be willing to forgive them for it. And I just... I really appreciate yeah. Alice kind of getting at that idea. I never, like, it's just amazing because until I had read these books or seen this show, I never thought about these things in these ways. But they've kind of awakened in me some things, like some ideas that are hmm. just changing the way I think and just like always feeling like, like even just like tiny things at work, like us, like maybe colleagues or something making a comment. Um hmm. 
that is just very off-putting to me. And then um, just now being able to realize, like, like I've I've brought up to some teachers who've been, like, casually in conversation with me being, like, yeah, their pronouns are they, them, but, like, they, them isn't a singular noun or something like that oh and me gosh. being like hey wait a second <laughs> english actually says it is and like can you not yeah. can you just respect the student's wishes and just like things like that and just like i don't have to change the way like i don't i i can't put it into words but it's it just it gives you more power like having these ideas yeah makes you feel more in control and feel a little bit more powerful and like you can yeah. try and address somebody's shortcomings without having to be nice about it. Maybe nice isn't the right word, but you can be direct. You don't have to skirt around the issue. Like yeah. what you did is wrong and this is why it's wrong. And like if you feel bad because you did a wrong thing, that's okay. But I'm not going to feel bad for telling you you did the wrong thing. Like, I'm not going to feel bad for making you feel bad that you did a wrong thing. So I think I think I got yeah. to my point. That was my point. And I'm glad yeah, I got I there. Yeah, I think I'm glad you got there, too, because it's like making me think of things, too, that I hadn't thought of before. But for me, yeah, I think control is definitely you feel in control of the situation. I think there's this really strong emphasis on forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I think it's all of the religious underpinnings of our country here in the u.s where like you know it's all about forgiveness of other people but that kind of negates consequences sometimes the Mm. consequences of prior actions and choices and forgiveness is kind of like absolving that guilt and that like like just making sure that there are no consequences in a way and i think in this in this matter it's it's taking some of the privilege away from the person seeking that apology, seeking that forgiveness, and making the other party equal to the conversation. Like, I don't know, I just I've always felt like the person who's like, done the wrong and then seeks forgiveness is still trying to like keep control of the situation. Yes. And here Alice has then kind of turned the tables in a really healthy way. Mm-hmm. because there's no suppression of feelings anymore like these are literally feelings he's suppressed charlie and finally has a chance to let all of these thoughts that he's been like harboring in his heart just out and he's able to like i think in a very um concise and eloquent way just been like you don't you don't get to just come here and demand this of me like i'm not I'm no longer going to like uphold this privilege that you think you can get away with these things that you've said and done. I'm, I'm not having it. You don't get to get my forgiveness for this. Like there are consequences to your actions and here they are. Mm, mm-hmm, just, you put it very well as well. Yeah. Alice, so, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Alice. Yeah. Deft hand, deft hand with so many, so many things. Whew. I, I, it's just like, even before I started this podcast, I hadn't formulated those words for the way I thought about this. And now I'm happy that we got to talk about it because I've. Me too. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Another one. Another. Just, they've already been so good, but they get better. How could they get better? You asked. They do. Because Alice is so (laughs) great. Um, And the next one I want to talk about is specifically related to 
Charlie's journey with his <gasps> uh, mental health. And That's the one I want to talk about, too. Okay. I'm specifically going to talk about Nick's conversation with his mom. Okay. That's great. Okay. And then I guess that will segue well into you talking about... So, I... Hmm, I need to... I need to get to my notes because I think it's going to help ground myself in this conversation. Yeah. Um, so in volume four, the main, um, the main conflict is Charlie's battle with anorexia and how mm-hmm. Nick feels a little helpless in aiding Charlie in it and seeking help from people outside the relationship to find help and like, find um ways to improve and like heal from it right so Mm -hmm. um nick seeks out the help of his mother and i think why this is so important is because there's this idea that when you're in a relationship romantic or otherwise you are singularly the steward of the other person's well-being and while it's not true it can feel mm-hmm. like that. Um, and you can feel like every one of their struggles is yours to remedy. And it's just, it's, sometimes it's hard to realize that that isn't actually the case because you feel so connected and you feel so, um, you feel like it's so important that you are the one that can help them out of that situation. And mm-hmm. Nick's mom helps him come to this revelation in like one of the most eloquent and perfect and just like well-written scenes I've ever read and you can probably hear it in my voice. It's already a little shaky, but there's this two-page panel on page 170 and 171 of volume four that yes. I honestly, like, what's up? Yes, I want to get that frame. Me too. It's just so perfect. And <sighs> I want to read a little bit from this excerpt leading up to that because it's just so well done. Because as, I can't wait to see this in the show. I'm going to ball my eyes out. Olivia oh, Coleman is going to nail this. I, know, I just she know is. it. But as she's talking about this, there's just, like, these flashbacks. Not even flashback scenes. Well, there's some flashback scenes, but there's also just, like, showing Ellen Tao and Tara and Darcy. And just, like, we get to see how these things she's saying can relate to anybody. And I think that's mm-hmm. so perfect. So here we go. Yeah. I'm going to start here. And I'm going to... There's going to be a minute or two, but I'm going to read this. This is all Nick's mom. I know it feels like you're both each other's whole world. But that dependency isn't healthy for either of you. Charlie needs to seek help from someone who isn't his 16-year-old boyfriend. He needs help from a doctor or a therapist, someone who knows about eating disorders and how to treat them. Love can't cure mental illness. So, um, this is Nick. So, so can I, so I just can't help him? And then, and then Nick's mom, I didn't say that. And then Nick asks, how then? And then Nick's mom says, well, there are lots of ways. You can just be there to listen, to talk, to cheer him up if he's having a bad day. And on the bad days, you can ask what you could do to make things easier, standing by his side even when things are hard. But here's, here's where, this is, this is the three, this is the page that gets me every time. This is this big page. But also knowing that sometimes people need more support than just one person can give. That's love, darling. Just... Mm. That final quote, just the first time I read it, I was just like, I stopped there for probably like 15 minutes and just like needed a moment to be just like, 
how how can you put into words so perfectly like what so many people struggle with you know yeah and just so simply too that that is the moment that i cried on the Mm -hmm. train i'm tearing up right now thinking about it it's just it's so powerful but it's so simply spoken Mm -hmm. and it's said by this by this character who has proven time and time and time again that their parent that you know their son can trust like like nick can trust that he can talk to his mom Mm -hmm. about anything she's not judgmental she's unconditionally supportive not only to him but also to charlie and um wow what a contrast that alice paints between nick's parents and uh charlie's parents because charlie does not have that relationship with his mom and the fact that nick does we get to see what like a really healthy like supportive and full of listening relationship is um leads to such beautiful moments of wisdom like this and insight and with charlie's mom we just get a lot of like arguments and exacerbation and she has her own problems to go through and to deal with and it's just Mm. i i appreciate that we get to see all of those perspectives because sometimes in stories authors can can be a bit limited in their characters like you can have characters who feel a little too reminiscent to another character like you know all the parents are kind of the same or you know all the friends kind of have the same feelings or like like i think alice does a really beautiful job making every single individual truly truly an individual and unique in her books yeah i that that scene in itself is why I was so excited for you to read volume four. Um, it's so good. Because it's just, it's one of those scenes that's hard, but important. And just like, it's the type of, it's the type of story that needs to be told and that people need to read. Yeah. And I think, especially too, like when you have, you have Nick and Charlie and they're 16 year olds mm-hmm. and the other person is their entire world and especially when you're a teenager, like it's already t- hard enough to think beyond yourself. Yep. But you, you're learning here that like, you know, this other person, I want to think about them and I want to be there for them. And I want to like kind of become each other's everything. And that can be a very hindering mindset because then you start to see the stunted growth of the individuals in the relationship um, and that's one of Nick's, like Nick's, I would say his, his personal conflict is a lot quieter and more subtle than Charlie's. Cause Charlie's, you know, dealing with this eating disorder, he's still dealing with a fallout of being, you know, forced to come out when he wasn't ready to at school and all of the bullying and stuff. And then you have Nick who's like being shielded by a lot of that by Charlie, but he's also starting to realize that he doesn't really know who he is without Charlie by mm-hmm. his side. And- and I think, go ahead. And that's very scary for Nick too. And just yeah. like, because you realize Nick discovered himself through Charlie. Yeah. And there's this whole side to Nick that Nick didn't really, maybe had inklings of, but never really knew about and explored until mm-hmm. Charlie. So I just, I get that and I understand that. And it's a really nuanced take on this whole like, I was always queer, but I didn't realize I was queer until I was in a relationship with Mm -hmm. you. And now that I'm this queer person in this relationship with you, what if, what am I as a queer person not with you? And I Mm -hmm. think for a relationship like Charlie's and Nick's to continue, which I think Alice has implied it does well past high school. 
they need yeah. this time alone and they need this self-reflection and they need time to discover who they are without each other too like i mean that's yeah. the only way a relationship like theirs can last is if they realize that they can't be so reliant on just each other yeah and i think that's a beautiful thing because like one of so they're in high school still nick is starting to look at universities mm -hmm. um and he has some of his own friends but his own friends are the people that he feels like he needs to mask around like he has to put up this like persona that he's not necessarily queer um that he's still the confident you know rugby lad even though like they're trying to be more accepting of him and less judgmental and more like you know he can be himself around us and it's like he doesn't know how to open up around his friends. He knows how to open up somewhat around Charlie's friends, but they were Charlie's friends first. They're his friends now, too. And I just I w I'm really, really curious to see what it looks like for Nick to find his own people in college and yeah. and to to join the rugby team. I'm hoping I'm sure he'll get into what is it Leeds? Mm hmm. I'm sure he'll get into it and like have the opportunity to like make his own friends He's going to be four and a half hours away from Charlie and Charlie's going to have to sit through the rest of school without him, without, without his friends. Like they've, they've proved that as friends, they can already do this. Um, you know, you have Nick and Charlie separated during a large portion of the school year in book four, because Charlie goes to, uh, undergo treatment for his, uh, eating disorder at a, a facility and you also see it in the way that like you know uh with l l had been their friend at what is it it was at truum right and then when she transitions she ends up going to the all-girls school but they still remain friends even though they don't see each other day to day and so i think it's really interesting that we have already some hints of people finding their own place having you know not quite long distance relationships but like relationships with a little bit less proximity than they're used to and just to see how this happens when nick and charlie their whole worlds are right now are revolving around each other mm -hmm. so did you get to talk about the one you wanted to in that or did you still have something to no so okay, my cool. thing is that yeah i i really really appreciate how alice depicts charlie's anorexia and just like his struggle with eating and having this eating disorder and um he he has it pretty badly you know he's feeling like the only time that he can control anything in his life you know is through controlling his eating which is i think a very common strain among people who have eating disorders because you know you may not be able to control the circumstances around you you can't control what people at school say about you or how your family treats you but you can control what you're eating and so as you know charlie finds himself with less and less of an appetite um in order to try to gain some sense of control, he also ends up um, self-harming again, mm -hmm. which we don't thankfully ever get to see a depiction of. I think there's a lot of glorifying that kind of thing in media when you actually like see the act of it. I think it's just as profound to know about it when it happens off the page. So I really do appreciate that that is something that remains off of the page in these graphic novels. And it's not something that Alice chooses to show. Um, 
but we still get all of the deep impact of what happens because, you know, Charlie has no confidence about his body. He's very, very insecure, um, you know, at t- being around people when he's on the beach. Like, he doesn't want to take his shirt off. He changes very quickly in the locker rooms. He's so so insecure about, you know, just this perception that other people have of him because in the past that perception has been nothing but negative. And even though you have Nick who's like unfailingly supportive of him, um, he still needs to, you know, he Charlie can't just go through this alone. He needs help. He can't just rely on Nick who has basically no more life experience or ability to help Charlie than Charlie has himself. And so that moment with Nick and his mom, when they have that conversation, and I think right after that page, Nick is like, well, then what can I do? And his mom is like, why don't you and I research together ways that we can help Charlie talk to his parents Mm -hmm. or tell a doctor? And I think that's just such a beautiful sign of solidarity between people who like want nothing but the best for this beautiful, pure hearted soul of Charlie, who is struggling with something that's out of his control. And I love that. Like he, he gets to find a way to tell his parents, like he has to write a note because he can't say the words aloud. And that's just so like, I think for some people it's probably a solution they wouldn't even have thought of. Mm -hmm. And here we have it presented in a very easy digest way where, you know, if you can't say it, write it. Because you can always read it aloud from notes. You can always hand the note to somebody else and they can read it there. Yep. There is something, I'm a writer, sometimes I have difficulty, you know, talking about things, but I find that writing them down makes feelings flow better and that just might work for people, you know? And so I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that we get to see that, like, Alice just goes there. She does not hold back with what these characters go through. And I think that's what makes them so profound. But Charlie gets to a point where he has to leave school because he just can't stay in school anymore. He's going to get worse and worse and worse. And he ends up going to a mental health facility. Um, And I love that he gets the treatment that he needs. And I also love that nobody really thinks any less of him because of all of this, Mm -hmm. because that's another stigma that we grew up with where, you know, having anorexia or bulimia or other kind, some other kind of disordered eating was some sign that you were less than or that you weren't good enough um, or you couldn't like you just couldn't help yourself. And like that's that's on you. Shame on you for not being better because I don't have an eating disorder. And like that automatically makes me superior because I didn't fall prey to this thing. Like like it's just very, very toxic mindset that keeps getting cast on the people who can't listen to this because it just makes things worse you know yeah and just i wanted to bring up two things about that because i also really liked that alice made it clear that like this was charlie's journey and charlie Mm -hmm. was his trip to this facility was helpful for him but that might not be the case for everybody and i think yeah it's important for somebody reading this who may be went through a similar experience, but didn't have quite the success Charlie did to also be validated in that, like this, the way that journey, the journey that Charlie went on to get better might not work for everybody because everybody's situation is going to be different. And like just Alice recognizing that and making sure it's apparent in there in the book is I think important too. It's just like something Mm -hmm. you could just forget about and gloss over or not even discuss, but it's just, she has a, she has a way of kind of thinking about 
everything and like being perfectly um accepting of all the situations i guess that people could go through yeah and i also really like this like portrayal of nick in this situation as somebody who is um kind of on the outside of the um mental illness but needing Mm -hmm. to help in some way and just like the whole process of him going through figuring out how he's going to help charlie and at no point does he ever fall into that like well why don't you just eat like it's not that hard mentality right like what you were just getting at how people can be like it's it's easy just eat and just like no like mental illness that is not what mental illness is that is not what these people with anxiety or depression or an eating disorder go through, it's not easy for them. Right. 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 And Nick is yeah, just, just be happy. Exactly. Just, just get over it. <laughs> and Nick is super understanding and he's always like, he, he makes his love for Charlie paramount. It's like, like I love you and I want you to get better, but I don't know how to help you anymore. Like, I don't think I can like, mm-hmm. I'm here for you in the ways that I can be, but you need, like, you need to seek, like, I want you to get better because I love you, but, you like i can't do it so we need to figure out how we're gonna get people involved who can yeah and i think like that is the ideal way i could see a like the other person in a relationship like this help their partner through a difficult time yeah. like this like not stigmatize it not mm-hmm. brush it under the rug not be like I'm, it, sure i just why don't you just eat? No, like let's let's talk about this and let's understand what we actually need to do to help you get better. And yeah, just very much appreciate this story being told. Yeah, and this this actually this is related. Something I noticed in the books, especially in um, the third and the fourth books, is uh, it's funny how much these two characters love each other and they're very happy with each other. But as soon as one of them turns away or steps away from the other, there are these like intense panels where now, you know, they're, they're like both sad. Mm-hmm. They're both looking really sad when, you know, cause they have, you know, their secrets that they're holding on to or their struggles that they, they don't really know how to bring up even to themselves. Like they're, they're not really sure how to put these things into words. And I remember, um, I think specifically what strikes me is when they're at the beach, which is the beginning of volume four and, uh, you know, Nick and Charlie are together on the blanket and they're really happy. And then Nick gets asked to go out into the water and to go swimming And he tries to get Charlie to come with him. And Charlie's like, no, I think I'd rather stay here. You know, he's still wearing his shirt. Um, Nick isn't. And so there's that like level of discomfort that Charlie is feeling. And all Nick really wants to do is just like enjoy the beach with his boyfriend. And he's like far out in the water. And he's looking back over where Charlie is still sitting in the blanket. And Nick just looks so sad. And Charlie on the blanket just looks so depressed that he Mm -hmm. can't you know he can't get himself to just enjoy his time because he's like so self-conscious about the way that he looks and he doesn't want to eat the snacks that he's being offered and it's just there's so many feelings wrapped up in this and I think it's 
a really interesting thing that for as happy of a relationship as they have together, Alice makes a point to always show them looking unhappy when they're not together. And I think that's a really big part of what their relationship is. And I think it's a big part of a lot of relationships too sometimes that like it's not it's not all happiness, just as it's not all unhappiness. Like there's a balance between the two of them, like that light and dark chiaroscuro, like there's there are ways that like, you know, these issues that need to get overcome before they can have like that true happiness together. Yep. And it's this whole idea that like they're in their really early stages of their relationship. So like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like the honeymoon phase, if you will, where they're just like so infatuated that they don't want to be apart. They can't imagine their life without each other, but we see such growth from them in volume five that I think is also really good. I know. And and I am so happy that at the end of volume four, uh, Alice Osmond has a little like author's note at the end being like volume five is going to be the last volume in this series. It's going to be the final one. And then you read volume five and you get to the end and you're like this, how, what you can't just end it here. And then there's another author's note saying like, okay, so I know I said that volume five was going to be the last one, but as I was writing it, I realized that it needed to be six volumes. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be one more. And I was like, plot century, <laughs> plot twist of the century right here. <laughs> yeah. And I, luckily I knew that before volume five came out because she announced it on Instagram. Um, oh, that's good. But yeah, I'm very happy we get one more volume of this story. Yeah. And it makes it sound like volume six is actually going to be covering uh, a pretty bulky amount of time mm-hmm. because at the end of volume five, there's a calendar. Um, it's like one of those nice little add-ons at the end. And there's a calendar of like, you know, this is the timeline because we start to see things happening with Tori in the end of volume four and all throughout volume five, um, which I would assume relates to solitaire, which I haven't read. I really don't know too much about Tori. I love what we see of her in these books. But um, it's so it's like this is when volume one starts of Heartstopper. And this is when the the Heartstopper short is. And this is where Solitaire begins and ends. And, um, you know, volume four ends up taking the most amount of time so far. And so I'm reading into that to think that volume six might cover a huge part of university for Mm -hmm. the two of them. I feel like. Alice probably wants us to know where they're at post that. I feel like we might yeah. get a, a an epilogue almost, you know, of like <sighs> like she wants us as readers. I feel like Alice is like the author who's going to want us as readers to feel like comfortable with the the conclusion, you know. Yeah. Okay. I still have more oh. stuff to talk about. <laughs> I do too, but re- you should, you have more than me, I think. Okay. In relation in, to In relation to this. Like, I think every point I have is just related to how deftly Alice handles the situations in these books. And nice. I think the next one I definitely want us to get to, because some of them are maybe a little bit lesser than others, but I want to talk mm-hmm. about kind of the main, one of the main plot points of book five, besides this whole idea that Charlie and Nick are also needing to like discover themselves and what they are without each other mm-hmm. is also just their journey exploring their sexuality. I think it was tackled mm. with like, again, respecting grace and which is exactly what I've come to expect out of Alice. And we as kind of just, I don't, I don't say young adults, but us as like me as a 30 something, um, I kind of know how, um, sex was handled by my parents and my teachers and whatnot. And we kind of see the same 
kind of world's general opinion about teenage sex through the eyes of Charlie's parents in these books when his dad says, no hanky-panky till you're married. And Tori's just <laughs> right. like, gross, never say that again. And then yeah. we also see the thing with the sex ed class and the teacher who is just like drops a cucumber on the desk and says, here's your <sighs> cucumber and your condoms. And yep. really the main focus is just on STI pre- prevention, which is important. But like we, this is how society kind of closes its eyes to something that is happening you know yeah and Mm -hmm. i think that's one of the problems and that's one of the things that like nick and charlie don't get to learn these things from their like parents so much or their teachers so much but they kind of got to rely on Mm -hmm. their friends for this information about sex and like what it means and what it is and um i really liked their journey through kind of volume three where they're both like neither of them feel comfortable enough with their relationship or with like where they are in their lives to do that but it's kind of this Mm -hmm. journey that again some authors might shy away from but alice doesn't and i think she tells a very respectful good story about their journey to discovering this parts of themselves as well and it's like i don't know again Like, I hope teenagers are reading this and realizing, like, be safe, but, like, you're going to do what you need to do for who you are in, like, the relationships and the places you find yourself in, right? Yeah. Like, everybody's journey is different. And there's, she also brings up, like, just because this one person says they've had sex doesn't mean everybody's doing it. Like, the likelihood is probably not a lot of people are doing it. So you shouldn't feel bad that you're not and that you need to do it to kind of get on par with everybody else, you know, like, sure, this is Nick and Charlie's journey, but it's not everybody's journey. Yeah. And And, yeah. Yeah. I also hope that along with like, you know, teenagers who are at this time in their life reading this in order to gain some kind of perspective and some kind of guide, I, I do also hope that there are, you know, sex educators who are, able to see like maybe why it's so important to talk about things um that are not just about sti prevention or putting a condom on a cucumber Mm -hmm. that you know like these are very relevant things because you you have in the in the story itself like the the kids are asking some pretty important questions like you know when is the average time that people are losing their virginities um you know and there's like a lot of emotional support that gets needed for students who are facing this time and like the teacher just doesn't want to hear any of this he's just like all right this is what an sti looks like Ew, (laughs) it's (laughs) yeah that's definitely like my sexual education experience Mm -hmm. was very much like here's pictures you don't want this and it's like there's you can't stop people like abstinence is not the way clearly but again very culturally this this united states was founded on puritanical Mm -hmm. values like that's the foundation that everything gets based off of it's why we still have a lot of this like purity culture and a lot of you know no sex until marriage and a lot of people who like abide by that and then find out once they're married this is not actually a right fit for them and if only they had allowed themselves to like explore their own sexuality or what they personally value more we maybe wouldn't have like a 50 percent divorce rate in this country And then there's the and... whole thing with Tori when she's on the, I think, Ferris wheel with um, yes, with Charlie. Charlie. And they're talking about um, Tori's friend, 
boyfriend ish. Michael. Yeah, Michael, who I'm excited, yeah. I hope is in the show. Um, Me too. And just like she had sex and she realized that's just not how she finds connection with people. And she kind of mm-hmm. cemented the fact that she figured out she was asexual. And yeah. um, it's just, again, like this journey that everybody is different, but you need to take it to discover who you are. And it's a really yeah. like you, she talks about how like society makes you think it's so important and how like it's, ne- it's necessary to be in a relationship and how that mm-hmm. maybe makes her feel like um, she can never be happy in a relationship, you know? Right. And how we kind of have to change our perceptions if we want to be happy, if we identify in that way. Yeah. And I feel like, it's just everybody who needs to change their perceptions, mm-hmm. not just the people that this is affecting. Like I, I really, really, I think there's a lot of wonderfully eye-opening topics that are covered in these books. And like we were saying before, there's a little something for everybody in here. And even if like you don't personally relate to a lot of the struggles, there is enough in the emotions and the vulnerability that is universal. And I think that you will just gain some new empathy for people who are in these situations or who do have these feelings uh, or these struggles. And I, I don't know, I think we would all, we'd all be better off having this as a shared, a shared like knowledge source. Yeah. And I think these are just things I wish people would talk about more and not feel weird about doing so. And I feel like right. we could probably learn a lot more about, humanity if that were the case you know yeah like there's Uh, always topics we shy away from because they're like not socially acceptable to talk about with certain groups of people but like they're conversations that probably need to be had like need to be had which i think Mm -hmm. alice is making very clear which is great yeah and like let's let's normalize and promote more diversity in these creators because this is how we're going to get different perspectives Mm -hmm. having people whose stories don't fit into the norm become universal and while we have tori fresh on our brains can we just talk about how much of an icon she is oh my gosh yes so that that dinner scene is in i don't want to say too much because you're going to watch it but that dinner scene where nick comes out to his dad is in season it's in the season two okay yeah and Tori is just oh. as iconic in that scene as she is in the books. Like in the book, Beautiful. specifically, as Nick's brother is about to out him to his dad, she kind of just like grabs his arm and is like, don't you dare. Um, and just like, don't you dare out Nick right now, you absolute turd of a human. She doesn't say that part, but like, that's what you know she's thinking. And then later, yeah. she's in the restroom and she hears Nick's brother on the stairs, kind of bad mouthing Charlie to a friend on the phone, the phone or something. Yeah. And then she comes out of the bathroom and on the way down the stairs, kicks her bro- his brother's phone out of his hand and it gets cracked. And she's like, don't you ever talk about my brother that way again or something like that. And it's just like... Or I'll end you. Yeah. She's like, you're a pathetic little man. And I was yes. like, thank you. It's so thank good. you, Tori, thank you. <sighs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And just the parallel of her cracking David's phone when David was the one who cracked... Nick's phone yep. because he knocked it out of his hand because he's like, oh, what you, you, uh, you talking to that like boyfriend of yours again, mm-hmm. the clingy, clingy boy. 
And on the he's David is so unsupportive. Ah, yeah. oh, and on the smarmy. topic of David, I really mm-hmm. appreciate how Nick's mom and dad kind of make it clear that they're not proud of David in that moment either. It's like da- their dad says something along the lines of David, I expected you to have grown into a better man than you are. And yeah, I'm disappointed. Yeah, and, and then his mom is like, you don't get, you don't have a right to speak to either of our children that way because you have not yes, been around enough. You have not earned exactly. that right. And I was like, I want to see Olivia Coleman <laughs> do the scene so yes, badly. It, okay. It, it essentially happened. This is one of those scenes <laughs> okay. that I was watching with Sam and Sam hates awkward things in media and like we'll cover his eyes or whatnot and mm-hmm. maybe we'll leave the room and i pause the tv and i say no you got to come back and watch this and he says but i don't want to because <laughs> it is like it's one of those uncomfortable situations that like you're gonna feel uncomfortable watching because there's tension and there's drama and there's yeah all this stuff but it's just like it's also like a really good moment in like it's again it's just you want to see it happen like you want to see Nick yeah. stand up to his dad. You want to see Nick stand up to his brother. You want to see his mom kind of have her words too, you know? And it all gets to yeah. happen. It does. And I think that's what makes these books very special because a lot of times when we think about catharsis in media like this, it's usually fantasy. It's some kind of fantasy where finally this person gets to stand up and be the hero or they get to like, you know, uh, be confident in this way that they wouldn't otherwise be, or they get to like, you know, lead their friends into something valiant and they get to do something like they can be really proud of for the rest of their lives. And these books have that same level of catharsis, but I would not in any way consider these fantasy. These are so authentic and realistic to the human experience. Mm-hmm. It could and happen. I think it could happen. And I, I do think that it's like aspirational. Like, I don't think this is the case for most people in the world who are dealing with these things, but it is, it is a beautiful guide for what life could be like if we let it. Yeah. If what life could be like, if we, I don't know how to say this. Like if we, let ourselves be ourselves and let ourselves say the things we need to say in the moment. And like, yeah, not in the, like, (laughs) don't, I like the, I like the, don't say anything if you just have stuff rude to say, but like these things they're saying aren't rude. They're, they're necessary. They're, um, like, like Nick's brother probably needed to hear that. I don't know if it's going to change him because he already kind of seems set in his ways, because you see yeah. that when he goes to sit on the stairs and is complaining, like and he's such a drama still complaining. Queen. Yeah, Ugh. it's like I don't and think then, he had any character growth there, but it's still no. Good to but maybe hear it. Maybe maybe something. If he keeps hearing the thing over and over again, it might crack open a door enough. You yeah. know, like Tori, one of his peers, somebody who's relatively his age, I'm assuming, being the one to say like, "You're a pathetic little man." In it, I what I assume would be a really matter of fact way, and she breaks his phone for emphasis. And, like, he can't ignore that. He can rail against it, maybe. But, like, maybe there's some growth for him yet. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I also just really appreciate that blunt honesty sometimes is the best policy. Because we see that in Volume 5. They're on the the uni road trip to go and visit the colleges. It's it's Nick. It's um, Elle. And it's Tara. And 
you know, Nick is finally starting to open up with the girls about how he is not sure who he is without Charlie by his side. He doesn't know if he really wants to spend so much time away because he doesn't know if he can handle long distance. And Elle is just like, you're a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And Tara is like, Elle, no. And, And she's like, no, he needs to hear this. Like, this is important to say. And she just like lays it all out there for him being like, look, this is something I've noticed about you and it's not doing you any favors. You don't seem happy. Find a way to like be yourself and then you don't have to be so beholden to what other people think. And like, I think that university and spending time away from Charlie is the answer to this because you'll be able to find some independence, find your own people and just like be like, just be in the world as you're supposed to be. And I think that was a really beautiful sentiment. And I think that it's undervalued right now in this world where you can be that kind of upfront and just blunt and honest with people because a lot of people will take offense mm-hmm. at it. A lot of people will, will not hear it for what it is and they'll think it's criticism. And like, you know, there are times when criticism is very valid and it's, it's, it's good. It's not necessarily like, you know, a negative thing like this is being done because L loves Nick and really wants to see him, become the best he can be yeah and that's kind of what we were talking about earlier too with this whole idea Mm -hmm. of like it's a really it's can show a lot of growth in a person if they are willing to hear criticism hopefully constructive and not get offended Mm -hmm. by it and just like listen and accept it and like be inquisitive about it and like okay i that makes sense like what do you think i can do or um and just be willing to grow from it like that's yeah. something I try to, like, if somebody corrects me and tells me, like, hey, don't say that. That can be offensive. Or, hey, maybe don't mm-hmm. use, maybe you choose a different word there. It's just like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Right. I'll, I'll, like, sure, there's probably a little bit of shame in that, and that's fine. But also, like, not closing yourself off to it because you feel the shame, you know? Like, being yeah. open to, like, oh, yeah, I guess I did. I guess I probably shouldn't do that anymore. Maybe I need to think a little bit more deeply about this next time and being okay with that. Yeah. Like being okay with Absolutely. being told you're wrong or being okay with yeah. being told these things about yourself that you might not have noticed because you are, have a hard time noticing your own faults. Right. Exactly. And like, you know, it's very helpful to have other people act as a lens for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that shame as an emotion is like the be all end all. I think it could be a tool. Mm-hmm. Like shame is valid we can feel ashamed of something that we've done, you know, but that means that we recognize that there's something there that we could do better in the future. Exactly. And I think it's just, it's just way for growth. It's a pathway for growth and improvement. Yeah. And just on this topic of um, L talking to Nick, I just, I, I think the other part about volume five I appreciated so much was their own separate journeys with Nick going mm-hmm. off and looking at colleges and Charlie coming to terms with potentially being head boy next year and also like his journey with like clothing and like wearing the clothes that he wants to and feeling comfortable them and eventually performing in a band on stage in front of lots of people in these clothes Mm -hmm. he probably wouldn't have felt comfortable wearing like a year ago in front of so many people right and it's just like seeing how much these two have grown and seeing really, the potential yeah. for where they're going makes me super excited to see what Alice is going to do in volume six. I have some predictions. Yeah, I want to hear them. You want to you talk predictions now? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, um, so I have, I think, three predictions. 
One of them is uh, about Nick and Charlie finding their own way. I think that they're both going to like find their avenues where they're going to have fulfilling lives. Nick in uni at Leeds, I think he's going to have a really, really great time with the rugby team. And I think that Charlie is going to become the head boy. And I think he's going to have a pretty full roster with like the campaign to become the head boy, plus all the head boy duties that come with it, that they're going to realize that they don't miss each other in the day to day as much as they thought that they would. Mm -hmm. And I think that that could potentially cause some conflict between them where they're like, I feel like I should be missing you more than I am. And then I think they're going to realize that it means that they don't love each other less just because their days are full with their own lives. I think that's going to be a really important growth for both of them. My second prediction is that as head boy, I don't know if you've experienced this at all, but I experienced this plenty uh, witnessing, you know, RAs at college, like the resident advisors um, who are generally like older students who are looking over the dorms. Um, of, you know, the, the people there, but there's something about being in power that makes other people admire and respect them and maybe even get crushes on them. And so I think there might be uh, a wee little gay boy who ends up having a pretty strong secret admirer crush on Charlie oh, because he's the head boy. Yeah. So I think we might be able to see what happens with both Nick and Charlie if they have other people who could be viable love interests for them and as like some way to maybe like test that long distance relationship they're going to be experiencing. Um, for sure. And then can yeah. I want to, well, we're on that topic. I Go could ahead. totally yeah. see Alice wanting us to like see how important it is that Charlie is head boy and being like an actual physical manifestation of the positivity it can bring like i see her wanting yeah. to be very concrete about that so i could definitely see what you said happening mm. i'm i'm really really excited i kind of think it's a sure thing that he's going to become the head boy mm -hmm. because especially with mr Farouk being like oh no i think you'd be really good for it and he's like imagining himself as a kid yes. who doesn't have that kind of role model and like oh my heart I mentioned so this before, that's, but that's like why yeah. I want to be a teacher. And that's like what one of the biggest drivers for me being a teacher is, is just like being that role model that I didn't get I to have it. then. And I'm sure you're doing so many great things as this in this role as a teacher. I, I really you. do. So what's your third theory? Oh, it's sadder. Oh, no. It's a lot sadder. Um, I... I'm harboring suspicions that Henry, the new puppy, was introduced because I think we're going to deal with the passing of Nellie in book Aww. six. I know. It's really sad, but Nellie's old. Um, we know that she's old, even if she mm -hmm. still acts like she's a, an energetic and curious pup. Um, but she and Charlie, or sorry, she and Nick, uh, I would say, like, grew up together because yep. like she was she's Nick's childhood dog. And so she's getting on in years. And I think... For as deft as Alice is at handling some really difficult topics, one of the topics she has yet to deal with is grief. And so I think we might be able to safely explore the grieving process by using Nellie as that conduit because she's always been kind of this catalyst for um, for some big moments in the books. I think that um, having Nellie be the one to uh, pass on means that we don't have to worry about the death of one of the parents or one of their friends, um, but still be able to get that catharsis through, you know, Nick coming home because his dog is not doing well and Charlie being there to support Nick and Nick not really know, knowing how to like 
you know, move on from that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having to deal with that whole grieving process and what that might look like, especially if you're long distance. And I think that that is just another really deep and wonderful part of life that Alice would be able to share her wisdom on. Yeah. And as some... Plus then there's Henry and he's lovable. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who has recently had to deal with um, a pet passing, yeah. I could very much like to read that and see Alice's take. Cause I feel like a lot of what helped yeah. me get through it was leaning on some media that has like mm -hmm. instilled in me some really important ideas about grief. One of them being God of War Ragnarok. There's this, I, I'm not going to tell you it because I hope one day you play this game. I would like to. Um, but there's this really incredible, like I can't even like just, I say incredible, but imagine there's a word that means something three times better than incredible um, <gasps> quote about grief in that game yeah, and about the journey that those characters go on that just like mm. thinking about it really was helpful. And I bring that up because... A lot of what Alice does is very similar in she talks about these things and it's going to help people process these emotions and think about them in a different way. And yeah, I like you say it and as sad as I'll be and as much as um, it's going to make probably Alice sad to write it, I could see it happening for sure. Um, yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I also, I have a fourth prediction now that I thought sure. of as you were talking about that, but I realized something else that she hasn't touched on at all is, is breakup and heartaches. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wonder if like Ellen Teo won't make it because the last panel we get of Teo in the fifth book is, um, him being like, wait, so you mean we would be long distance if you get in and Elle's like, yeah. And then he looks utterly lost and, I don't know if, if their relationship is one that would be able to be sustained through long distance, but we will see. It It is something that's part of the human experience as well, and that could also provide some really excellent guidance for the readers to have, you know, like, well, they broke up and they made it through okay, and so I know that I can too. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I want everyone to have a happy ever after, that... and so it's, like, really hard to think about, like, bad things happening mm -hmm. to these characters. I will say that specific con. <laughs> between Ellen Tao is season two material. So is it really? Yeah, that, okay. That whole idea of L <sighs> moving away is explored in much bigger depth than it was in the books in season two. Good to know. Good to know. Okay. Well, I hope everything I'm saying is making you want to watch it even more. <laughs> it's like, I like want to sign up for Netflix again today. <laughs> I think you should. But... A month of Netflix is worth it. And <laughs> you're going to just only watch Heartstopper. Honestly, I'd pay $15 to watch Heartstopper. <laughs> Yeah, I could I could watch all of Heartstopper again, and then I could watch my favorite show, Lockwood and Co. Yes, once more. Because there you, you go. They canceled. They canceled it. So there's not going to be a season two. It's just season one. Oh, that's but it's sad. still my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else? Anyways. I don't think. I think you hit all the predictions. I would say, like I, I just. I think I did too. I kind of know Charlie and Nick are going to have a happy ending. I feel like I've I've read in places like. Um, Alice has like answered questions about their future and they do stay together. Okay. Um, good. So I feel like it's happening. Um, good. but I am excited to see their growth through the final volume because we've already seen so Me much, too. but I love the idea you mentioned of 
them kind of becoming more independent. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be so important for the relationship that it happens. Um, yeah. And just hopefully making people realize that this whole idea of long distance, I don't, I hate that there's a phrase for it because it makes it feel more, <sighs> it makes it feel bigger than it needs to be. Like it makes yeah. it feel like something that's significantly different than like, no, it's a just, regular relationship, exactly. right? Like, no, we're, yeah. we're no longer in a relationship. We're in a long distance relationship. Why does it have to be yeah. different? It's just the way you interact, the way you live your lives is different, but your feelings don't have to be different, right? Like, it's true. I'm excited to yeah. see what Alice does with that because I me have too. I have hopes. Like, I, I don't think we're going to be disappointed. No, me neither. And I think there's going to be more pages that we're going to want to frame and put yes. up on our walls. <laughs> uh, I'm going to adorn my new office with pictures of yes. oh i love it i love it so much well everybody that was our heart stopper mega episode i see about an hour and 50 minutes on our time so that would be our <laughs> longest episode and i'm not surprised a bit that it was yeah but it was fantastic yeah I- it was wonderful talking about this with you chris i wouldn't want to discuss this book with anybody else me neither. I'm so glad you've read them so you can just know how perfect they are. They are. And if you all, you dear listeners, if you have anything that you would like to add in, uh, please do let us know if we missed something or if we said uh, an opinion that is radically different from your own. Uh, we would love to hear your perspective and take on these beautiful, beautiful stories. Yeah. You can email us at... Um, the big gay book club at gmail.com or you can message us at tbg book club on instagram um mm-hmm. we'd love to hear from you so i guess i should probably tell everybody we're reading next month since it's kind of my recommendation right it's your recommendation so next month march 2024 we're going to be reading and discussing aristotle and dante discover the secrets of the universe by Benjamin Allaire. Oh, God, I should have looked up how to say this beforehand. We'll look it up before the next okay. episode. So we're going to be reading Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe. I'm also probably going to be watching the movie before that episode, too, because I discovered in That's my right. Googling that there's a movie, too. Ooh. And it has, like, Eva Longoria in it, who I love from my what? I Desperate love Housewives her. days. So I had Desperate Housewives days, too. Yeah. I love that show. So def- love her. I'm not saying you need to watch the movie, but I definitely will be. Um, okay. Well, let me know what it is, yeah. how it goes. You can text me during it. Um, but that, like I was saying, I'm super excited to talk about that book too, because like Heartstopper is one of my faves, but there is something incredibly special about Aristotle and Dante. It's just like, mm. ah, I don't want to get into it because we're going to talk about it next month, but it's a really good book. And if you've not read it, you should read it. Nice. Um, that episode is going to be released the last Tuesday of March. Yeah. We release all of our episodes the last Tuesday of every month. And Amy, do you have anything exciting coming up that you want to talk about? I uh, I have, uh, well, in terms of graphic novels, um, I do have one of my graphic novels is going to be coming out later this month. It's a, a new edition of one that I previously have had uh, published. It's called 12 and it's a historical fiction novel. 
graphic novel about um, the countdown to an execution during the French Revolution. So uh, I'm a part of Panico Press, and we are actually currently gearing up for our year of comic conventions, uh, starting with AwesomeCon in Washington, D.C., which is going to be Friday, March 8th through Sunday, March 10th. I'm not going to be there personally, but if you plan on attending that, you can let me know that on Instagram. I'll, I can post the booth number once we get it, um, and you can see other Panico representatives there, get to meet them, see some of the fantastic graphic novels that you are, uh, that are available to buy at our table. So that's been very exciting. Yeah. And I was just going to say, once you have a link to a place where people can go to see or purchase 12, I will definitely be posting that on our Instagram for people to see if they're curious. Nice. Yeah. We'll let you know. Perfect. Um, I think that's it, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our Heartstopper Extravaganza episode. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say before we signed off, Amy? Uh, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Yes, thank as you. always. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for the use of our theme song, Work, which you heard throughout this episode. You can find more of his music on Incompetech. Incompetech. And until next time, I've been Chris. And I've been Amy. And this was the Big Gay Book Club. Bye, everybody. Bye.